Well, hello, First Alliance Church. My name is Pastor DeAndre, and I have the privilege of being your youth pastor. Uh, And now, more than ever, um, I do believe that being your your youth pastor is an actual privilege. Um, Well, because I know of so many youth pastors and some lead pastors and ministry workers who have lost their jobs and churches who have had to close their doors... Uh, some of who are still at home now because they are unable to open their doors on Sunday mornings. This just isn't, this isn't just a church. I mean, how, by a show of hands, how many of you have a favorite restaurant place that you like to go out and eat that has not opened yet due to COVID-19 and or there are a lot of stipulations on those places, right? My family and I, we moved to a new place with new people and we welcome a new baby all in the midst of COVID-19. Once we start getting acclimated to staying indoors, our nation is rattled by the death of George Floyd and the nationwide spread of the Black Lives Matter movement. I believe that the effects uh, of what our nation has gone through in the last several months, I do believe, will have a long-lasting impact on the United States of America, but also, also the church. Which is why it is my hope that the words that the Lord has prepared in my heart today will encourage you will encourage you as a righteous believer to be patient while living under adverse circumstances such as these. Because now more than ever, I do, I truly believe that we are definitely in and we are definitely living under under adverse circumstances. Now, if you brought your Bible with you today, you can follow along with me in the book of James. We'll be taking a close look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. It's James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. You can also follow along behind me as well. If you have your Bible, just go ahead and bookmark that and we'll get to it. Now, in preparation for this message, I have to tell you that I spoke to a lot of people who have told me how much they love the book of James. Now, I have to agree that the book of James is one of my favorites to read, but it hasn't been my my most favorite to study. And the truth of the matter is, I have had a really haughty spirit recently. And that spirit that boiled up inside of me came from confusion on how to feel about several things. Number one, how am I supposed to feel as a black man about the death of George Floyd Breonna Taylor, and the many other black Americans who have lost their lives unjustly by the police. Number two, how am I supposed to feel as a black man who is married to a white woman with two biracial children? The last but most pressing issue that has caused me to have a haughty spirit at times is how am I supposed to feel as a believer as I watch our world suffer in so many ways? An example, the COVID-19 pandemic and all the CDC guidelines Are they here to actually help us? Are they here to control us? And that debate that's going on. Should I be responding to the suffering in the black American community as a black man? Or should I be responding to the suffering in the black American community as a Christian? And are the two separated? How should my wife be responding to this suffering? How should you be responding while you're living in a world with so much pain and suffering and oppression. Now, I'm not perfect. I never want anyone to believe that I am perfect. I make mistakes just like any other person who will ever take this platform and preach to you the word of God. One of those mistakes, if I may be uh, honest and confess something to you today, church, is I allowed my haughty spirit to get the best of me. And then I did what every good Christian would do in that moment. 
I posted a Facebook status. That Facebook status has since then been deleted, so don't go and try and find it because you probably won't. And I can stand here today and I can tell you that I stand behind the words that I posted. But I'm not going to do that. Because after reading through James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, I realized that my approach as a believer in the midst of living a life in a fallen world and with adverse circumstances, my approach should have been different. My confession to you churches while living life in adverse circumstances, I lost my patience. And in losing my patience, I believe I did not allow the true character of who I am to show to those around me. But living in adverse circumstances, it does that to people, right? I mean, my one-year-old, she has to wait for mommy to cook her food. Then she has to wait to get put in her chair. And then she has to wait for her bib to get put on her. And then she has to wait for us to blow on her food so she doesn't burn her tiny little lips. Those are adverse circumstances for a one-year-old when it comes to eating food. And then what she does is she just points at you and she screams until she gets what she wants or until she can change what's currently happening to her. Now, the thing that we try to explain to Izzy, my daughter, in that moment is, honey, try and be patient with mommy and daddy. You will be fed. Food will come. You just have to wait on it. And in a different but very similar way, I believe that James 5 gives readers a very similar encouragement. Number one. I believe that James tells us that in the midst of living under adverse circumstances, it is extremely important that as a believer, we must choose to be patient because it allows Christian growth in the midst of difficult times. Number two, we have to understand that suffering is used by God to produce Christians who are mature and steadfast. Number three. We are called to endure and not to grow weary or give up, but to hold fast. So if you'll journey with me, let's open up our Bibles to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Reads this, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you and I both know that my words are very broken. But God, we do know that your Holy Spirit has the ability to be here with us and to take my broken words and rest them easy on the hearts of your people. So, Father, is what we ask, that in this place right now, in the homes of those who are watching online, that you are there, that your spirit is there. Open our hearts, our minds, for what you have for us this morning. Pray this in your holy, holy, holy name. Amen. Now, during my study of the book of James, a few things that I've taken away is that this book is filled with so much 
wisdom. James uses metaphors taken from nature and everyday life paired with what some people may say a very harsh address to its readers. Now, I believe that James gives quite a push that he is interested a little bit more in our actions rather than just what we believe. Now, I don't believe that James is saying that your actions are what saves you. I don't believe he says that at all. Instead, I believe that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, James is actually seeking to move you into action because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Which is why in the beginning of the book of James, we touch on joys of trials, being hearers and doers of the word. Then he talks about faith without works is dead and taming of the tongue. Those are about chapters one to five, according to the DeAndre commentary. It's not published yet. Just wait for it. We land in chapter five where James is speaking specifically to wealthy landowners. These landowners control much of Galilee and the Roman Empire. Those verses in James, he's rebuking them because of their accumulation of wealth, the defrauding of their workers, and what most commentaries are reporting is that James is particularly upset with them because their self-indulging actions have led to the deaths of innocent and righteous people. He uses the word murdered. He's talking about the wealthy landowners who made deliberate actions that caused righteous persons their lives. And people have suffered and been treated extremely unfairly. These are adverse circumstances. Now, something that I would love for us to do is I want us to finish this equation. This is for you to decide, not me, not your neighbor, no one else. What is your adverse circumstance? Or my adverse circumstance equals, and then I want you to fill in the blank. And once you figure out what that is, I want you to write it down. Because we're going to talk about a few different circumstances today, but they may not be yours. But my hope is that you'll still be able to apply the things that we've talked about today. Once James was done addressing the wealthy landowners, he directs his attention to those who work for the wealthy landowners. To those who are poor and oppressed by those landowners. James's introduction to them is be patient, therefore brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now my question when I read this is, why, why patience? James is speaking to a group of individuals who have been treated extremely unfairly for what seems to be a very, very long amount of time. Why would his encouragement and challenge to these people be patience? Haven't they been patient enough? It's the question I ask. Haven't they been patient enough? To me, the answer to this question is found in the second part of verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Let's break this down a little bit here. We know that James is definitely talking to believers for two reasons. Reason number one, he calls them brothers. Anytime that you're reading a New Testament epistle or a letter from any of the disciples to any one of the early churches, they usually refer to them as brothers. And if that's not enough evidence, he tells them, be patient until the coming of the Lord. This is only a good thing if you're a believer. This is only a good thing if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, defeated sin and death. God raised him from the dead and he ascended into heaven and one day he will be back. James imploring to non-believers to be patient for Christ's return just doesn't make any sense. Simply because it just doesn't make any sense. His separation between these two people is pretty clear. 
He then tells the oppressed believer, be patient because Christ is coming back. This isn't a warning to them. This is more of a promise here. He pairs this with a real life metaphor of the farmer that is waiting for his fruit to grow. For this fruit to grow, it needs the early and the late rains to come. The farmer knows this. And if he didn't know it, he well, he wouldn't be a really good farmer if you ask me. This farmer knows that in the eastern Mediterranean, there's two seasons of rains that are normal and necessary for a successful crop. The fact that they are experiencing a time when there is no rain means that they not only have to be patient for the rain, but they actually have to have faith that the rain will come when it's scheduled. Because if it doesn't, the harvest will indeed not come and all of the waiting is for nothing. This is what makes being patient hard. David Nystrom writes in his commentary of James that our author talks about two types of patience. And I've relied a lot on this commentary through my study. The two types of patience that he talks about. The first, he says this, this occurs about four times in the five verses that we read together. He says this carries the weight of waiting, but waiting with calm and expectancy. Right? Calm and expectancy. The other, right, he says that this conveys the sense of, of patience, being patient but using endurance and fortitude. To me, that, that sounds like strength there. It sounds like strength in that moment. Now, in the midst of adverse circumstances, such as a drought or a time for a farmer when there is no rain, the farmer would need to wait with common expectancy that the rain will come. Because the farmer can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they can whip up. But if there is no rain, it really doesn't matter what they do. So they are calm and they wait that the rain will actually come that time of waiting is absolutely terrible for them but they wait calmly and with expectation that the drought will end and the rain will come for example we all have things that we need to do today right some of us may have thought it's only 60 minutes church is only 60 minutes that 60 minutes will end and i can go on about my day i might have to sit here with a mask on for that short period of time but i'm expecting it to end well i tell you what Today, it might be 65 minutes, but it will end. The second, he talks about patience, but more in the way of endurance and fortitude. This shows strength here. To me, this has a lot to do more with the action side of things. We begin to move over to verse 8 in this moment. James jumps from the metaphor to address us as readers once again. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He said, farmers, be patient because the rain will come. My wife and I tell Isabel, be patient with mommy and daddy because we will feed you. We just don't want to burn your tiny little lips in the process. James says, believer, be patient because the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is only an encouragement to you if you truly understand and believe in what Christ has made possible for you and what will be done once he returns. This is a faith issue. This is, do you have faith in this? In your adverse circumstances, whatever that might be, and I really hope you wrote them down, what is God capable of doing? And how does that shape your reaction to that circumstance? Now, when faced with this kind of challenge, I like to go to Psalm chapter 46. Most of us are familiar with verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. 
right? I was first familiar with that and Jesus wept because those were the, those were the only two points that I got in Bible quizzing. <laughs> they were really easy. I, I knew those two. But in order to understand the power that is in David's words, I believe we have to look at a few other things mentioned in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The earth gives way. The mountains moved into the heart of the sea. That's power. The waters roar and foam. Nations raging. The kingdoms are actually tottering. This is where it gets really good. Verse 9. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I want you to imagine this, like really, really do this with me. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. If you're looking at me, that means your eyes are not closed. I'm sure we all know how this works, right? I want you to actually close your eyes in this moment and imagine that you're standing in a field. Standing in the field. And on one side of that field, there are, uh, is an army just charging toward you. They've got bows. They've got spears. They've got chariots. They mean to do harm. And they're charging toward you. And then behind you, there is a castle. That castle can have a Browns flag on it. Doesn't make it any less of a castle. It's okay, Pastor Mike. It's okay. There's a castle. Open your eyes. My question is, what do you do? What do you do? Now, the acute stress response tells us that half the room will charge back and go all Braveheart, right? I'm going, I'm going toward the fight. But the other half of the, would probably retreat. And more than likely, we would retreat to that castle that's behind you because it looks like what? A fortress. What if I told you, what if I told you that in a moment like that, I believe that God doesn't want us to do either of those things. I mean, really think about this for a second with me. David says that we have a God that will make war cease all across the world. And in the middle of a battle, he will break the bow. He will shatter the spear and he will set fire to chariots. And then after that, he says, be Still, I mean, if I pick up a sword and I start charging or if I turn around and run back to that castle that I think is a fortress, how am I going to see? How am I going to see and how am I going to know God is who he says he is? How am I going to know that unless in the midst of my adverse circumstance, I am capable of being still? How am I going to know that God is going to do what he promised that he would do? James addresses a group of people who who've lost loved ones and watched their people suffer by the hands of the wealthy landowners for a very, very long time. And he chooses to tell them, be patient because the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, I believe he chooses patience because it's in that moment when we are waiting on God, he will show up. And the believer that is capable of being patient in the midst of adverse circumstances will in that moment grow to trust the Lord in a new way. I truly believe that. 
Now, James, he continues in verse nine and he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, this verse in particular, I believe, is it James's response to something that happened in the earlier chapters. In chapter three and four, James talks about something that is really, really important. One thing is he emphasizes that what we say reflects our character and therefore is key to our whole being. He sets up these metaphors once again. The first is about a, a bit that goes into the, the, the mouth of a horse. And that is used to guide the horse or a very large ship that is carried by even bigger winds and waves, but yet is directed by a small rudder. And then he talks about the tongue. Even though it is one of the smaller organisms in the body will tell a person a lot about you. And will tell a lot about that person. During those times, the tongue was the primary instrument for grumbling and complaining. How that has changed, right? James is saying here that despite the abuse that you felt, do not grumble. Doesn't ignore what they've gone through. Doesn't even say that it's justified. What he does say is the feelings of enmity for what they have suffered does leave them open to judgment. Let's take a closer look at James's wording here. He says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. This tells us that, yes, life does bring trials. Yep. Life does throw its share of haymakers and, and low blows. And yes, it's not, not fair. And yes, you probably didn't deserve it. But no one in any situation is served by the cultivation of complaining about it. Because grumbling and complaining only leads to disorder and not peace. Grumbling and complaining does not lead to change. It does not lead to, to justice being done on either side. But what it does do is show someone your true character and opens you up to judgment. Now, I want you to think about that when you're wondering, how should I feel about wearing masks in public places? Or where and why you may disagree or be confused about what's actually happening inside of the Black Lives Matter movement before we start speaking on those things as believers, as Christians. Regardless of how you feel about any of those situations, or maybe even who our president of the United States is or could be, it's important to remember that James is reminding us that what we are experiencing, we are experiencing because God wants to produce Christians who are mature and steadfast while living in a fallen world and experiencing adverse circumstances. He doesn't want a bunch of haughty Christians who post and share Facebook statuses, which is exactly what I did. Some friends, they were sharing things that I disagreed with, some information that I've been watching floating around for a very long time, something that I disagreed with with every ounce of my body. Instead of reading James and being reminded of patience, I opened my big mouth and said something that a lot of people did not like and hurt a lot of people. This did absolutely nothing but showed a big crack in my character. Because God doesn't want us to be believers and grumble and complain and, and, and speaking any kind of evil against each other. He doesn't want us making vows to never return to church again until we don't have to wear a mask. I believe that James is attempting to take the attention away from what is happening on the outside, which is usually what we complain and grumble about, right? And instead wants us to focus on what's happening on the inside of us. Because, because... 
of what happened on the outside. Verse 10 and 11 leads us to examples of biblical suffering and patience. James directs our attentions to the Old Testament prophets. He says there in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now we know, you and I, we know the prophets that, that we read about, they experience suffering. I mean, James, the guy that we're studying right now, he will be stoned to death. But they each experienced those things and they endured that suffering, hopeful and patiently awaiting the judgment of God, which they knew was coming. Now, James uses Job as an example for this, which I agree is kind of in left field because reading through the book of Job, it seems as though he complains an extreme amount to God. But yet Job, he remained faithful to the picture that he had of God. While Job went through his suffering, his character was being forged. As a result to that suffering, Job gained a greater understanding and knowledge of the God that he served. He stopped asking the question, why? Why is this happening to me? He began to understand what he was intended to do during his time of pain and suffering. Job was never caught up to speed as to what God's plan was for his pain and suffering. But I do believe that Job's humble response to God did show that he may have understood God's purpose for Job and his pain and suffering. The purpose. This is why I believe God blessed Job at the end, because I believe that God's purpose and his plan includes his compassion and his mercy. So therefore, I believe that as believers, our purpose and our plan should also include the compassion and mercy of God. When we are in situations that we are uncomfortable with, we naturally hope for a release from those circumstances, from those situations. Now, I agree with, with something Pastor Mike said a couple, couple weeks ago. He shared his heart about how the way that this world is right now, man, we really wish for the return of Christ because living here, is, it's getting really hard. Christ coming back is the only thing that's going to fix that. But only, only Christ knows. Only Jesus knows when he will return. And until that happens, I truly believe that James is writing to prepare his readers for spiritual growth. And I would like to read to you a quote from uh, David Nystrom's commentary. He says, within the history of Christian spirituality, difficult circumstances are considered a normal and necessary part of the process of spiritual growth. It requires a certain attitude in order to be dealt with most effectively and bear certain results. James writes in the earlier parts of his letter that we should count it pure joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that at the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's James chapter one, verses two through four. While living in a fallen world and experiencing these adverse circumstances, would you remember that suffering is used by God to produce Christians who are mature and steadfast? Now, can anyone tell me what this is? There's a picture behind me. This picture is going to pop up behind me. If you know what that is, just yell it out. It's an anvil, right? It's an anvil. Now, according to Wikipedia, 
An anvil is a metalworking tool. They are massive pieces of metal, usually forged steel, right? They aren't only massive, but very practical because the higher their inertia, the more efficiently and effectively they are able to cause energy of striking tools to be transferred to the workpiece that a metal worker is currently creating. Now, in most cases, the anvil was used as a forging tool to make swords. To my left, you have three different kinds of swords. Each of these swords needed to go through a similar amount of metalwork in order to get them to look the way that they do. They each have a different kind of character. Each sword would be wielded by a different kind of warrior or swordsman. The katana, like that would usually be wielded by a ninja or a warrior that needed a strong sword, but also would need to be swift and agile. The sword with the thickest blade there in the middle, that's a replica crafted by an artist who wanted us to to see actually how thick Goliath's sword may have been. He was a very, 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 very large man. And he needed a very, 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 very large sword. So when he would pick his sword up and he would swing his sword, it, it needed to withstand the force of his strike. And in the sword in the middle with the, uh, the sword on the left hand side with the longest blade, that's a, that's a replica from the Lords of the Ring. And if you're a Lords of the Ring fan, I apologize because I'm probably going to destroy the name of the sword. Um, it's called the Sword of Anduril, also named, uh, known as the Flame of the West. This sword gives the person who's wielding it the power to call forth an army greater than any living army. So not only was it a very strong sword, But it had magical powers. Each sword was crafted similar. But depending on how long that sword spent time on the anvil, depending on how that sword was struck by the metalworker, and depending on who that sword was intended for, would determine the final look of that sword. That sword's character was forged on the anvil. So we as believers should know that our character will be forged on the anvil. Your character will be forged on the anvil of what difficulties you face in life. And as a believer, you are being forged, created into a mature believer that is capable of doing the will of the father. If those swords could talk, they would tell you that they were forged under adverse circumstances, an extreme amount of heat and being pounded and being struck against iron and iron being struck against iron to sharpen it. Does that sound familiar? Those swords needed to be humble and patient while going through the process of being forged because of the purpose of who was going to use them. James again says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord being able to be patient in adverse circumstances says, I trust you, God. I trust that this time spent here in these adverse circumstances will grow me a Christ-like character of grace and of mercy. A character that is capable of enduring and persevering. Believer, you are called to endure, persevere. You're not called to grow weary or give up, but but you are called to hold fast. Remember, Job did not give up. He held on to his faith. His friends lost their tongue and had a terrible interpretation as to what God's plan was for Job in that time. 
They attempted to encourage him to do things that the Lord did not intend for him to do. But it wasn't until when Job directed attention away from the things that were going on on the outside of him and turned inward and looked to God did his heavenly father come down and address Job. Your character will be forged on the anvil of your difficulties. If those swords would have pushed back against the still worker in those adverse circumstances, the character of those swords would have been different. They would have been altered. If they jumped out of that heat a little too soon, it's possible that these swords would break and crack in battle or break and crack under pressure. Those swords were created to endure and to not grow weary. If we as believers are in the midst of adverse circumstances, when we decide to be patient inside of these trialing times, and we wait for the coming of the Lord that shows that we trust him to be the judge and to act accordingly to his plan. We are to be patient and to refrain from condemnation for each is a necessary ingredient for the spiritual journey to which James calls us to endure with patience is to set one's feet on the path of spiritual maturity. Thank you again, David Nystrom from this moment forward. I I choose to be patient and allow my character to be forged on the anvil of the difficulties that I will face as a Christian who is a black American. Because I know that God's purpose for my life surpasses the injustice of this world and the fact that I have to wear a mask in public places. Because I know the Lord will return and seek vengeance for the wrongdoing of any believer that belongs to him. Would you let me leave you with reading one more thing from David Nystrom's commentary? He says, those who have faith must bear every disagreeable thing for the Lord, keeping in mind the promise. But in all these things, we shall overcome because of him who loves us. God shall try us by fire, just as silver is tried and purified. Our Lord teaches us that when we are struck on one cheek, we must turn the other. When asked for a piece of our clothing, give the whole thing. When asked to go one mile, go two. When we are cursed by others, we must bless them. When people see me, when people interact with me, this is what I want them to see. What about you? Let's pray. Father, we know that you, you are the metal worker. We are your masterpiece being forged to do the will of the father being forged to do your will. Father, I, I pray that my words that are broken, they, they've rest on the ears and the hearts of your people powered by your Holy Spirit, God that we are able to be patient while we are living in the world that has fallen. And when we experience circumstances in which we do not have control over circumstances that we may be very confused about circumstances that may scare us. Father, I pray that in those moments, in those circumstances, we are able to be patient. We're able to be still and know that you are the God that that, that, that breaks bows and shatters spears and burns chariots. That you have the power to be there for us in those moments. 
Father, may we choose patience in the midst of adverse circumstances. Pray this in your holy name. Amen.